Hey everybody, Jason here. Just want to let you know that this episode is an interview with James from Grog Talk, the premier Saturday morning AD&D first edition talk show. Now, we're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about GrogCon, which is this great gaming convention in Orlando, Florida at the end of September, where there's old school gaming and miniature war gaming, and there's even some 5e. So check out the links in the show notes, enjoy the interview, and we'll be back to our regular format next episode. I do have a bunch of calls lined up for you, but this episode is all James. So let's get into it. What pockets up a beer or a cold libation? Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said, I'll start off with some talking and some moody clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back, everybody, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today, I have a special guest. I have James from Grog Talk. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? Excellent. Excellent. I'm very happy to get you on the show. And we're going to talk a little bit about a convention that you guys run. But let's give everybody a little background. I know not all my listeners are fans of Grog Talk. They're just not exposed to it. Because if you've been exposed, then you have to be a fan. Or, or you run away screaming, one of the two. True. So, so, so tell me a little bit about Grog Talk and GrogCon. Okay. Well, again, thanks, Jason, for having me on. And so Grog Talk is the genesis of um, a lot of history that started around 2017. I'm not going to go too much into detail, but I think there's a, a generation of players like myself who hadn't played since you know the late 80s, early 90s, kind of gave it up role-playing for 20, 30 years or so. When the kids got older or whatever, some life event happened, they're like, oh, let's get back into it. And that was, in my case, my kids were getting older. I was playing with them, showing them the game. I said, I wonder if people are still playing first edition. I, at some point, finally got the itch. I looked out on Meetup, and there was a Central Florida Grognards Guild that was established a month before I looked. And that was established by a guy named Dan. Uh, Dan uh, and his friend Ed set it up. So I went there. It was at a local gaming store. Uh, we hit it off. And after a year or so, um, Dan and I said, you know, it would be nice if we uh, came up with a convention, just like the old days where these old school uh, tournament edition, tournament uh, conventions. So we called it GrogCon. We looked and said, oh, there's no GrogCon. Okay, we'll made it. And I said, well, hey, we should do a podcast to support, you know, getting the word out of it. So that's how Grog Talk started. It started in about uh, early 2019. We've been going for about three and a half years. And we've had, this will be our third, uh, because of the pandemic, we didn't have one year of GrogCon. So our GrogCon 22 is uh, coming up uh, September 30th through the 2nd here in Orlando, Florida. And it's focused on 
old school gaming. Uh, it'll be primarily be AD&D, but Top Secret, Paranoia, Call of Cthulhu, all kinds of games from you know what we call the golden age from the 70s to the mid 80s is accepted. And we're part of a larger convention called Crucible, which does miniature wargaming. And also there's a 5e uh, and other uh, games. So it's it's a decent sized convention. It's not massive. There's a few hundred people. So you play the games and uh, we've done it for three years and we really uh, have a great time with it. Great. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to coming down. My son and I are going to come down this year. We were going to get over to DaveCon, which is uh, another old school convention over in Minneapolis that this year was the first year of, of DaveCon as it currently is. Unfortunately, life got in the way. We couldn't make it this year. I do plan on going next year, but yeah, it's good stuff. What I plan on running some board games. And, yeah, maybe, I'm happy to help out as a gopher and maybe I'll help with some of the tournaments you know, because I know you're doing tournaments and you guys have been looking for help for some of that. But I plan on running a couple of board games. I don't know if you've played any of these. I know we talked a little bit about your game experience off the air, but TSR had a game and a board game in 1980 called Knights of Camelot. Are you familiar with that? I've heard of it. I've never played it. Yeah, I plan on bringing that down to to oh, kind of cool. to run that. And then it's a so it's a board game and you go around and you're trying to do quests and all, but it's kind of like a quasi role playing board game. It's it's interesting. The the other one is by Iron Crown Enterprises. Uh, you mentioned Middle Earth, you know, yeah. when we talk off air. And this is the Lonely Mountain from 1984. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's it, it's like a buffed up version of Dungeon of Dave, of Dave McGarrity's Dungeon where your, your adventuring party is trying to get as much as you can out of Lonely Mountain before smog wakes and closes all the entrances. And then there are other monsters in the, in the mountain and whatnot. So, so Interesting. Yeah, Jason, I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure they were there back in the day. It just felt like there was D&D &D and, you know, in its various iterations, the Moldvay and, and because I came up in that time and, you know, for those who are of, a certain age, we remember what was in the bookstore is what existed or what was in the back of the mm -hmm. pages of Dragon Magazine. That was what was there. So um, I saw a lot of games and things in the back of the magazines and they, you know, my 10 through 14 year old brain at the time really discounted them if they weren't official TSR products. And even though the product catalog all these other things if it wasn't D, &D i wasn't really interested for me we had dark tower do you remember that game mm -hmm. that game that i do and i wish i i wish i still had it because they're, they're worth a gazillion dollars apparently um yep. so everything felt like if it wasn't D, &D it felt like a poor analog like dark tower which to me was like meh you know why play that when um you know you could just play D, &D? and then later i changed as the video games got better and better, uh, I gravitated towards that. So I didn't, uh, and board games kind of were synonymous with risk and monopoly. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of missed all that. Yeah, I, so, so I was, I entered about 1983, 82, 83 is roughly got into role-playing. 83, I had the, my first, it was the Mentor box sets, what I started with, Beckme, and then quickly moved to AD&D. And then, but we played all the other, not all, but most of the other TSR games too. Marvel superheroes and Top Secret, Gangbusters, Boot Hill, um, Star Frontiers, Gamma World. Gamma World was a big one. We played a lot of Gamma World. Um, but AD, it, you know, we, and I have, or I've given my son now, but all the, 
the Beckme sets, all the all those basic sets, but we ended up playing AD and D, you know, because you're you know at that point, you know, especially back then, you want to play the advanced version, right? That's, right. That's where why would game. you play basic? Uh, what am I, a child? Yeah. I'm I'm I can read. I want to play the advanced uh, game. That's exactly right. Though we. I think if I look back without my rose colored glasses, uh, we played Moldvay D and D with a D and D monsters and treasure. That's because mm-hmm. the combat, we just like, this is too much work. Yeah. Just roll initiative, follow that. And we used a lot of the things out of Moldvay because it was just, it was, it was, it was simpler to our little brains and what we wanted to accomplish, but we wanted all the treasure and monsters and the variability that a D and D had. Well, of course, you want all the magic items. Hey, there's my friend. Hold on one second. Sorry about the phone call. Where were we? We were talking. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I might have cut you off. I don't I don't know. Were, Were you in the middle of thought? I don't remember. I, my thoughts are random, so don't worry about it. It's it's all okay. good. I'm very used to that. If those who watch our show or listen to us on iTunes, shameless plug, or uh, Spotify, Dan is very my co-host. Uh, is, he's he's known to interrupt and and just go off on a tangent. So I'm I'm totally this. I feel like I'm doing the show, so it's all good. Excellent, great, and we are gonna have everybody. We are gonna have links in the show notes. For GrogCon, for Grog Talk, we'll have the YouTube and the podcast. We'll have links for everything in there. The wh- one thing we didn't mention but before we get to back to some RPG talk for GrogCon, the dates probably pretty important for folks to know. It's September thirtieth, thirtieth through October second. So um, it officially starts on that Friday. We'll be down there Thursday night. Um, you know, kind of doing some event down there. Um, tickets are fifty dollars through tabletop events uh and that lets you do all uh, unlimited gaming and uh anything related to to the convention so we keep it pretty reasonable the room rates are 109 dollars each so and orlando is pretty easy to get to um from most places in the country so it's a relatively reasonable amount and you know the big highlight is the AD&D tournament uh dan will be writing the tournament module and last time we had 32 participants uh, in it. So, you know, that's, we went from 12 to to 32 in just one year. So uh, shameless plug, we are looking for DMs. I know a lot of people want to come and play, but if not, then I'm going to be running like seven tables at the same time. I'm not sure if that's, I'm not sure that's the gaming experience people want as I run around to, to do that. So. Well, we're replicating those early games where Gary ran you, you know, 20 people at once or whatever, right? So that's, yeah. you know, you, 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 uh, we're going to have three callers in this game. You call for that group of, of eight people. You call for that group of eight people. But that's right. I'll have, to, I'll have to limber up before that as I run around the, the group of that. So, but it's, uh, you know, we try to get that feel that we had when, um, you know, it's one of my memorable moments. I went to a convention in New York where I grew up and, you know, I, I probably still have one or two of the dice that I won when we won the convention. It was a two round tournament and which was unfortunate because my I had to go to work at six and it was one of those. Oh, I got to hopefully win. And, and I came in, I called them and said I was going to be late because, you know, we were playing the tournament as nine people. And um, that feeling of, 
you know, tournament play is different than your standard adventure. It's a totally different, you know, you, you only live once. So you kind of just do things and, and your mission is very clear. Um, you're not trying to clear the dungeon. So there's a lot of things that are unique to that experience. It's, it's a, it's in between the one shot, which has some of its flavor and the campaign. Um, and it's, it's really that dynamic of getting together with, usually we try not to allow people. I mean, we're not as stringent as some areas we we've gone back and forth on. Do you like, for instance, if your son and you go, are we going to let you play at the same table? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if there was like a party of you, you know, if this was really serious where we had big prizes, you know, in the, uh, you know, the North American uh, tabletop role-playing ramblers showed up as a mm. party of eight. I'm not sure we would let them play because part of it is that dynamic of you've got four hours or four to six hours. You've got to figure out how you're going to play as a group and, and get done. And we don't, we want some of that as well. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling he'll want to be in a different group anyway. He, he's 26. He's his own man. He's, so I, I don't want to hinder well, then style. i guess he'll i guess he wants to be on the losing group then that's uh exactly. that's right you know fa famous prizes i mean if you go out to our site you see the 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 vast prizes that they won it's truly momentous when you have that three ounce piece of plastic that you take back home and put that on your mantle that i stickered the grog Todd champion it's uh it's a pride of honor in place uh next to the groggy that people get mm -hmm. Like I said, we are definitely looking forward to it. Um, let's see. Oh, you were talking about watering down AD&D. I think that's oh, right. not, wa not watering down, but using kind of adding bits from AD&D into basic. And that's kind of, that's what we do with Merp, with the Middle Earth role playing is we had that and we had Role Master. We, we kind of, I don't remember. That was in the mid 80s. So a few years after AD&D, we got into that. And it was the same thing because role masters you know there's it's kind of math intensive at certain places and even middle earth role playing was a little math intensive cut places so we would shortcut and you know plug and play and but those are yeah i mean books, so yeah i mean the uh i really like middle earth role playing i didn't play role master so i didn't know the pedigree of it but you know i was a, a big lord of the rings fan and so you know my rep memory i've not picked up the rules again the ic rules uh from back in the day but i remember i was going to make a legolas archetype and i had put all my skills in arrows and then you look at the critical tables and it's like you know i just wanted to shoot someone's head and they explode you know go through the eye socket so i don't know how true we were to the rules but it it even though it felt you know looking back crunchy it didn't seem as bad as some of the because the rules were relatively straightforward mm -hmm. they they may have a lot of crunch, but at least it was straightforward. Whereas uh, the AD&D, particularly combat and initiative and the 10 segments, there was, there was subject to interpretation um, that we, we tended to hand wave just because we tried it in different ways and it wasn't really producing a different event. Here, you know, the, the whole thing was to get all those bonuses and calculate it, roll properly, get past the armor and blah, 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 and roll the critical and Cause you wanted to get the thing of, Oh yeah. I, you know, shot through his eye socket and, and, and impaled him on the wall. You wanted that, that stat, that result to come out. So, right. Uh, right. We, we played it for a while. Um, I think the problem I always had with those theme specifically set, it was, you know, I was, a, you know, looking back, I was pretty limited in my uh, viewpoint of it. It's like, 
I never really appreciated, well, you're going to do this task. It's like watching Titanic. You know the ship's going to sink. I don't, I, it was hard for me to get really invested in things when you know all these people are going to die. It's kind of like, I know the Lord of the Rings. How does this play in? So it was, it was hard for me to, to get into it, but we had a good time. It was fun mm-hmm. playing these kind of D and uh, middle earth derivative characters. Right. Yeah. The, the one thing that speeds that game up, we found was you, you, you get the critical tables for the weapons each player has, and you give the players those critical tables and that way, they, you know, the, the GM's out there looking all, looking everything up. Everybody can look their own up. Uh, another game we talked about, and actually, so I obviously the, this isn't a scripted interview, and I'm already lost in the sauce here, but I, I, I will throw you one, one, one question here. For you, you admit, I think we talked about Top Secret prior to, and you dabbled in Top Secret a little bit. Oh, yeah. We played Top Secret. We had Al Hammock on. It was great to have him on and talk about Top Secret. And and Jason, um, you know, who, who rebooted Top Secret back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and had him on as well. So that was, you know, from his RF, uh, RFI days and then, you know, doing Gygax and a couple other things he did. So Top Secret is uh, so we D&D was our main game. That was kind of our main game. And then. You know, instead of playing Funhouse Dungeons, as Gary kind of prescribed the DMG, where you'd go off to White Plume Mountain or whatever, and we just needed a break from that, so we would play whatever the the store had, and so we we played Tune, we played Paranoia, uh, and Top Secret was one of them. Uh, except, um, you know, my recollections of it is, you know, the the famous what the that all plans are great until you meet the enemy kind of thing. So we'd have these sneaky plans, but we would always be loaded. Like we made the Tom Clancy rainbow of six guys look like mm-hmm. they were lightweights. I it just, I remember having the Bernoulli street sweeper. I'm like, it's a secret mission. We're supposed to sneak in, but I have this, you know, multi round shotgun that I'm walking around with, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but it's looked cool. It did. You know, we were, and so invariably, when you have these weapons, which are meant for blowing up, you know, street warfare, and you're trying to be sneaking, within 20 minutes, we were, it was just a street fight. And, uh, but it was super cool, you know, the, because it was so different, you know, some of the rule systems, uh, both that and Star Frontiers, I preferred to some mm-hmm. of the mechanics in, in d and it, 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 but it, it, it had some of the tropes of d d so it didn't feel so foreign, like Traveler was foreign it was completely right. different whereas star frontiers it was dnd in space it had armor class even though it did it differently you still felt like levels and this type of thing whereas traveler was like you're, you're never leveling up you you know the obviously the claim to fame is you could die in in character generation but it was a, a just a different game and 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 i could rationalize that that traveler came a little bit later than the other ones yeah, but so here's my question. I like to ask this people when I talk about Top Secret. Did, did you have a favorite bureau, and, and did you guys tend to all play from the same bureau, or did you, you know, because bureaus were like classes and in, in time? Right. We're talking about the original Top Secret folks, 1980 Top right. Secret, not SI. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, we didn't play SI. I mean, yeah. um, it was our, our background was we bought the games in '83, '82 mm-hmm. to '84. And those are the games we stayed with until we we kind of left the hobby in the late 80s. Um, 
And so, because then computer games started becoming more and more right. uh, of the diversion if we were going to do something. So, yeah, we all played. I, I forgot which brewer we played, but it, it, again, we didn't have the diversity of it because mm-hmm. we all, you know, the we wanted to, when it all fell apart, we wanted to be the badass. That was kind of, <laughs> was kind of the thing, even though by not having that diversity and skill set, you know, we have all, all our in tactical combat and survivability, med, espionage, nah. <laughs> right. Well, Cloak and, and Top Secret. Yeah, Top Secret, Cloak and Dagger is an excellent movie. That It's not quite Top Secret they play in that movie, right. Dad and Nicole, but right. an excellent movie. Um, but yeah, so it, that was an interesting game, though, because the way they, if I'm remembering right, I've got my copy in the other room. It's been it's a long time since so I've really delved into it, but the different bureaus reward experience according to right. their bureau, right? So the assassination bureau, when you're doing combat kind of stuff, you'd get point, you get experience points. And then there was the, what was it? There was, there wasn't counterfeiting. Effectively, there was like a, like a breaking entering one. And, and there was a, sure. but yeah, but it, but it went by, by what your bureau did. And then with the companion, they added like a special agent under the administration bureau, though effectively was a James Bond character. But yeah, Top yeah, Secret was for, a neat game. Yeah, I think for us, you know, again, looking back, and I, we never played, I, the only one that we actually played a campaign in was uh, Star Frontiers. It, it was the only one that we really had a few missions. We played the box set. We may have played one or two of the, the adventures. And that may be just the course of, because that's what was at our, our local gaming store, whether mm-hmm. it was B Dalton's or the, the local hobby shop. So I think we had the box set for one of the, one of us had the box set for top secret. And I feel like he just made up scenarios and literally it was just go into a warehouse and rescue this or find that. And invariably it was just a brawl. So it, it, it itched the scratch of being non D and D, but it didn't, it never manifested in, we had to keep track of skill points and levels and mm-hmm. advancing and that kind because of, it, that was the same thing with tune. We played tune. It was just paranoia was the same way mm-hmm. you play for one or two sessions and you'd be like, okay, all right, we got, we got it out of our head. Now we can go back and play this, how to save the world D and D campaign. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did Star Frontiers, but Star Wars, the West End game, Star Wars was the game that re- the space game that really was it for us. I've still got a bunch of that. We had, we had a lot of fun with that game. I've got the Ghostbuster stuff now. We never played it back in the day, but that would kind of fall in that same with like the tune and the paranoia kind of thing, you know, because that yeah, was a game, a comedy. It, it's a game that allowed for the comedy. Comedy's tough. I mean, and, and you play in both those games. I mean, paranoia is, you, you almost have to play paranoia like a semi straight man for the comedy to really work, right? And, right. and, and so it, it's kind of takes special players to, to really pull those games off from what well, i remember well i'm well yeah I've, I've, i run paranoia every year at GrogCon, and um because it's fun as the d as the gm it's the most fun you can be ridiculous and people know going in if you die it's not a personal it's not a personal affront to you it's not a reflection of your gaming it's part of the game um, and those who can't deal with it, it's more fun because it bothers them and they get really fired up. You know, it's like, don't take it seriously. It's, uh, 
Now, I would love to run Paranoia, and I'm sure there's other games that are probably more appropriate, more of a darker, because it takes like the Brazil and, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. Tropico kind of absurd uh, and and takes, you know, the Stalin-Soviet Union kind of, para, uh, you know, uh, trope and puts it into the future. I'd love to play more of a dark dystopian where, you know, the, the problem with paranoia is it's hard to be invested. So you, you end up one, it only takes one character to just be like, woohoo, blow up everyone. And, you know, it would be nice if they're, uh, for those who haven't played paranoia, um, everyone's, you're looking for traitors and communists and people in part of secret society. Newsflash, everyone is in a secret society. Everyone is a mutant. And so uh, everyone should be terminated. So the goal is to terminate everyone else without being terminated. And, help the computer, which is again, impossible. So it, it tends to come off as slapstick and humorous, but I, I think there's a line, if you're gonna make it into the campaign, you really have to kind of find that real goal that your secret society, each character really has a well thought out secret society and they don't wanna kill each other until the end because they wanna achieve that goal. The, the, the thrill, the problem is because D&D is so, for players who are coming from a D&D type of experience, the, the, for most people, the, the game is playing with others, cooperative, regardless if it's first edition or fifth edition, you know, getting the mission done, advancing levels, the, the social contract. Paranoia breaks that, and that, that freedom is intoxicating, and people want to just shoot. Oh, I don't like what you said. I'm going to shoot you in the head. Okay, I'm going to shoot you. And all of a sudden it devolves into a Mexican standoff as they're all shooting at each other. And and what's good is because there's so many lives, people tend to get that out of their system pretty quick. And then they're like, all right, all right. We've killed each other two or three times. Now we're on our fourth clone. Let's go do the mission. Because, um, but, you know, if, if, you, if your character only has six lives, which is typically what happens in Paranoia, and you're trying to play a campaign and you've blown through three of your guys within the first 10 minutes, it kind of loses itself. So, um, but I'd love to try to run, you know, an online version of where people took it seriously and, and dying does have consequences in of itself. You may not meet your mission at the end because there's going to be a force, but I don't know how you could run like a two year campaign. I don't, that just mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense to me. But um, again, I gravitated away from the Star Wars and the Ghostbusters because at the time I just felt like that IP was so, that world was Mm -hmm. so embedded. I just didn't see myself playing in it. I I either, um, either I'm Han Solo or Luke Skywalker. I mean, why, how am I this, you know, the rebel third guy who gets blown up? You know, I just, I just envisioned myself as Wedge, you know, or whoever. (laughs) So. Well, and and it's funny because TS, I, I never had TSR's Indiana Jones game. But they really leaned into that idea with that game because they didn't even give you character generation rules. You played yeah. Indiana Jones or you played Short Round or you play, played Marion, right? You, you played pre, which Marvel is kind of like that. Marvel gave you rules to make characters, but every adventure, every module for the Marvel game came with the characters that were best suited to play that game. You know, you're playing as the X-Men or you're playing as the Avengers of Fantastic Four. And, and that those are really the characters you should play. So effectively, they give, they give you the pre-gens to play each module with but yeah i don't know you, you mentioned secret societies and, and, and i'll stop my tangent on bouncing around and role-playing games here the, the other tsr game like I said we play a lot was gamma world and, and gamma world had that they had secret society and right. that was really D post-apocalypse D, you know D and thundar right that was effectively yeah. gamma world and 
and it had, but that had secret societies and that, that there were some really neat ideas in game world. That, that, I don't know if you guys ever messed with that game, but it's, it's worth looking at sometime. We play, I mean, it was, I, I'm sure one of the guys that I grew up with. So I had two gaming groups. I had the group up in New So I learned D and D here in Florida. I'd come, I grew up in New York city and uh, during the summer, my mother, uh, she was a single parent and she didn't want me to be up in the mean streets of New York. So she'd send me down to my grandmother's house, my aunt's house in, in St. Pete Beach, where I got in a lot more trouble than I ever would have gotten in New York. Because, you know, I, I found in New York, we were working, there were the working parents. They didn't go on vacation. Vacation was Saturday and Sunday. So everyone was always around. So you couldn't, but here in Florida, the parents were a little well, more well off and they'd they'd head off for a weekend and the kids would be hanging out. I'm like, where are your parents? They're like they're gone. They left. And now there's 30 people in your house. How could that be? So it was, it was really a culture shock. So, uh, I, I, in between one of those hanging out over the weekend, some guy pulled out D and D and that's how I learned the game. Then I went to the local, you know, uh, bookstore and they had a, you know, like one player's handbook and, you know, a couple of modules. It was very thin pickings. So I went back up North and um, I found a group and they were all about, they were serious D&D tiers. And then when I moved here permanently and, and my old high school, not high school, but friends I grew up with when I came down every summer, they remained my friends. And those are the ones that I played with through, you know, through halfway through college. And those are the guys who, hey, let's try Traveler. Hey, let's try this. Let's try that. Um, you know, in order of, you know, times that we spent, D&D was num- by far number one, Star Frontiers, Traveler, because it was just a different milieu, um, Top Secret, Paranoia, uh, Tune, and a couple other ones, Pendragon. They were kind of, mm, that's interesting. We played it a couple of times. Okay, we get it. Mm-hmm. We kind of moved on. So, um, you know, Gamma World, I'm pretty sure we played it once or twice, but it fell into the bucket of, okay, cool. Uh, but I, I want to play Traveler only because it just seems so cool. It was such a, you know, the rules and the, the, it evokes such a galactic, I know this just sounds, you know, um, it was the most expansive game that I mm-hmm. played at the time. It just felt universal. It was so sparse and, um, and we tried and we tried and we tried, and, and I'm sure we played a version of it, but, it always felt like we were just space hobos that would just travel around and, you know, rob people. And, and eventually we ran into the wrong person and, you know, they had, they blew our whole breach and we'd all sucked out in the void and like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> start over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I had the 83, I, I did traveler box set that had the books in there. And I think it was 83. They're effectively the same books as the original books. I think they started adding their, you know, the the setting, but it was still pretty loose. And then I had a bunch of the supplement books for Traveler. And yeah, it, Traveler really is one of those games you page through and you look through the, the books and it gets you excited to play. It, You know, it, it's an interesting game. In fact, I'm currently in a game, or well, we created characters. We're getting ready to start a game called Hostile. Which is a so there's a basically a retro clone in Traveler that's called um, Cepheus, and they've mm. done this version of that called Hostile. But what it's trying to do, like 
Alien and Outland. I don't know if you remember Outland with Sean Connery, High Noon. I do remember the movie. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, it, it's trying to evoke those kind of things. And so there, there might be aliens out there, but there's definitely bad humans out there. And and you're playing, you can play like a crew of roughnecks on a on a mining colony or this or that. Or so we're getting ready to start that campaign. And it's using basically travel rules. So that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Looking forward to that. Um, but I. I guess the other thing I should mention is you've been on a couple other podcasts in, in addition to your own, and and I'll link yes, to. Yes, I'm, I'm I'm becoming an international star somehow. You know, it's uh, you know an ambassador for for Grog Talk, I guess. So yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. So so I'll link to my buddy Rob's podcast, Confessions with We Tim or Spushy, where you guys talk about Pool of Radiance. You know, the first official, you know, D and D role playing game, right? I guess was, right. I don't think there was an Atari D and D game. I mean, there was Adventure, and there was a few other, but there was. I don't think there was an official D and D cartridge for Atari. Was there? I don't remember one. I I, I don't recall that. So yeah, Rob uh, Menion uh, is interesting. You know, we have spawned. I don't know how we Dan and I. People have listened to our nonsense and have said, you know, that if these morons can talk for hours and people listen, we're going to create our own podcast. And, and you know, Menyon did that as well. And his, his is great. I, and I've heard you comment, you know, Anch- the Anchor community is a wonderful community. And it's great that you all, you know, kind of uh, feedback in, I won't call it real time, but actively feedback each other's shows. Um, so, you know, I, I went on a show to talk about Pool of Radiance because that is you know really that's at the tail end of my role playing um where the you know i'm in computers that's my background back of the day and you know that's why final reason why i think we like travelers because one of my friends was a uh his father was an engineer and he was in cad design so we had access to d plotters and these giant plotters with the old the vellum pens and we made giant maps of the star systems and you know so it tied it, we had CAD drawings of castles, so it really tied into this. You know, we didn't ha- we couldn't afford the miniatures, but we could burn through vellum and, and and ink to come up with these drawings. And so, you know, that as the games got more and more D and D like, um, you know, as I said in, in his show, the 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 deficiencies of getting together became exasperated, and the deficiencies of role playing on a computer became minimized in my mind, meaning getting together, drama, schedules, this and that. Whereas if I want to play a version of D&D, I just sit down on my computer, I plop in the floppy disk. For those who don't know what that is, it's a black rectangular thing that you put into a thing, storage media. And I can play a, a good simile of uh, D&D and, and not have to sit here and wait for someone to haggle with uh, the merchant for an hour and a half, um, which was fun for the first three times. But I'm like, just you're getting the arrows. They're 20 arrows. Just buy them. Oh, but I have a charisma roll. I want to get it for 20% off. Okay. So uh, I, I, it was a common, you know, like I play music and it's like, as I said, it's like a band, either you're in love with it. It's the best experience ever, or you just see the flaws and you're like, Oh God, I never want to, I just want to go home and make my own music. So um, we, we talked about pool of radiance, which was the first where you ran a party um, of D and D, A D and D characters, as opposed to my, you know, uh, Bard's Tale and Might Imagine. There's another a bunch of games that had uh, parties, but it wasn't completely D and D, right? Yeah, we had 
I, I remember I had the, the fantasy series. I don't know if you, it was PH, you know, fantasy and then like right. IE. And um and you could play Minotaurs in, in that, which was kind of interesting. Minotaurs is a playable rate. Or, or the Minotaur. But those are the graphics for the combats. You'd have your characters at the bottom of the screen and the enemy at the top. And when the and when when it, one of them hit, they would hop up and down, and then the others would hop up and down. <laughs> hey, cutting edge. That was like, wow, yeah. look at that animation. Yep. Well, so much, you know, I mean, like I said, the Atari 2600 with Adventure, you had, you know, you were a, what were you? You were the arrow, I think, in that. You, I wasn't, it, you it, were it, an arrow, and these yeah. Teletubby, Teletubby dragons were coming <laughs> after you, so. Yep, yeah. Oh, Pitfall was, I think, my favorite 2600 game, but, yeah. Um, okay, well, I appreciate your coming on the show. Thank you. I, I'm going to throw you one last question, and, and sure. this is an easy one. There's a, a topic that's gone around the anchor sphere, and, and you, you know, you mentioned that. The, the thing with anchor is I view it as an audio blog, right? So, like, I'll put out my podcast, and people will call in, and that's their comp. Their calls are like the comments, and then I can respond right. to their calls. And it, it, it's a really nice medium because it, it gets that interactive. You, you get to interact with your listeners, which is great. But here's my question for you Why do you think? fantasy is the dominant genre for rpgs why do you think is it just because dnd was first or is there something special about fantasy over say space i mean you guys you know did a lot with trap traveler star frontiers you know all these different genres but we always get pulled back to fantasy yeah yeah i think that's a great question and and i think for me um and i think for most people the uh, you know, and, and I guess we have to start with fantasy, as in your traditional fantasy land D and D, and and well, first of all, fantasy can cover almost everything. Everything else right. feels like if you're in space and all of a sudden you're pull, you know, minus Spelljammer, if you pull out you know wands of fireballs, you're like, okay, now you're just a mashup. Whereas if you have guns in D&D, that doesn't feel like a mashup. That feels like a renaissance era. So you can incop- incorporate a lot more genres. So it's, it can be all things to all people. Um, it is that genre has captured, fantasy genre has captured the ability of being otherworldly that others do not. In that when you're in space, for whatever reason, you feel still mortal. Um, and if you want to play that game, that's great. Call, Call of Cthulhu is a wonderful game, but you're not a superhero. Uh, and for some reason, we cannot imagine ourselves as superheroes as much. Whereas, you know, the Marvel thing, for whatever reason, I mean, there's people who love Marvel, but it's not the predominant role playing. Mm-hmm. That the role playing, and that's why I think old school role playing for me is is more interesting because you go from the zero to hero. It is you're not starting out as a hero and becoming a superhero. Um, And so I think fantasy has that idea of primordial good and evil. There's no, initially no grayness. Now, of course, you can delve into that if you want. The heroic acts, we have been bred with the stories of heroism. The knight saves the princess, slays the dragon, saves the town. and it's not been modern stories have been influenced with nuance and grittiness that we don't want. That's why Star Wars is so powerful versus Star Trek. And, you know, Star Trek is very popular, but Star Wars is way, in my opinion, 
way more popular because it's very binary. You got the bad guys are these and the good guys are these. And when they try to make it gray, a lot of people don't like it because they like their, you know, people like their orcs evil. Uh, not because they can't be good orcs. It's just there is certainty in that. So I think the combination of certainty of mission, seeing yourself being able to progress in a way that makes sense. I mean, you know, if you're a super soldier, unless you're going to use uh, bionics, it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel natural, which sounds ridiculous. So I think all those confluences come together um, to make it the predominant one. And then, you know, I think D&D being the first out of the shoot for being a role-playing game helped with that. But, you know, Lord of the Rings was popular before D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, that's why it's become predominant. At least that's my take on it. I think that's a great answer. Thank you. That, I, I appreciate your, your fielding that question. We, we didn't prep any of these questions except, you know, James knew we were going to talk about Grog Talk and Grog Con. So. And I, I did poorly I do, on those. That's- <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, but, 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 but you pulled it out there at the end. So it's all yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much. And, and I've linked to your show before folks. If, if, even if you just go to their channel, the either YouTube or the podcast and look for the interviews, their individual shows with Dan and James are great. And especially go to the early ones, the earlier episodes, they concentrate on, we're just going to talk about elves this episode. We're just going to talk about paladins, or we're just going to talk about wizards. And, and those are, are great for deep dives into those subjects. But the interviews, just amazing, amazing interviews. You just had a, a two and a half hour long interview. That, that was amazing. Right. With, with Mike Carr. Yeah, he's a yeah. great guy. Uh, we've had Ernie Gygax on. We've had a lot of the luminaries from the old school, uh, Janelle Jakeways. Um, uh, some people that we know that people don't know, like Daniel Collerton, who wrote Irillion, which is one of the classic um, uh, settings that uh, was done in, in White Dwarf. Uh, Dan is an Anglophile and uh, likes a lot of the, and again, that's for me, that's been the beauty of this. I, I just have learned so much of the history of the game that I really didn't know about that this, you know, a very strong European, in this case, British um, gaming uh, history. And, you know, the Fiend Folio was always, always had this flavor that I didn't quite understand. It was, foreign in a way that was accessible and i could see there was a take but i never was curious enough to go oh, i wonder what else is out there uh grog talk the the show has allowed me to kind of see some of that as well so yeah early on we were very studious about showing the rules it's it's very in line with how we play D. we started we're going to play rules as written raw and, and 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 that was because dan came back in the game he was he's never been a dm He's like, I'm going to run it rules as written. And, I, and I'm kind of the poor person guiding him through the horror of trying to do that with first edition. So we try to be as true to the form. <laughs> and then, you know, there's only so many topics. Uh, and so right. this, the, <clears throat> the middle part is fleshing it out. And we, excuse me, we made a conscious decision that we were not going to be one of the channels that review old modules and this and that. It just, if we don't know it and we don't have an experience that we want to share, I don't want to be one of those people who go, Hey, this is what B2 is about. So we, we just, we just decided that wasn't going to be, and then it just morphed into the shtick cartoon breakfast show, Saturday show that we've now become. And, 
you know, we're, we, we understand we're a morning show, just like any other show. You put us on in the background while you're, you know, eating your breakfast and, you know, mowing the lawn and you listen to us. And uh, we're, we have the conversation that you used to have with your friends and you can laugh at us. You can yell at us on this. You know, that's we, we love when we hear we were screaming at you because you're a bunch of morons. Thank you. Yes, that's right. We were the, we were your friends that you had in high school and college and we'd be debating you know, uh, how many angels on a pin. That's what we do there. So if you like that uh, and you need a sleep aid, come listen to us. There you go. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you at the end of September. And yes, we need to do this again, Jason. And I'll get Dan on the next time. I wanted to, I know you, we've, we've been trying to get this together. So I wanted to get that. Now that we've got this one, we'll, we'll definitely come on again. I'll bring Daniel on as well. Excellent. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Dan or James, (laughs) whoever. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Good talking to you. Okay. Good talking to you. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Maybe it's your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, your butcher is a dustman and your moil is by a tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away, don't look away, don't look away, don't look away. Well, the zombies are rising and the world is gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck.